first Sunday of the month, so kids, we're all in here together, but if you are a pre-K through first grade kid and you normally go to Elevate during this time, this morning, if you'll listen really closely to the Bible verses, there is a great picture that you can draw of what Jesus is talking about uh, in these verses. So I know many of you, you show me your comic book drawings after church, or you show me the drawings you make, just try to draw what Jesus is talking about in these verses, and you'll get a great, uh, a great picture out of it. So speaking of families and just what it looks like as a church to come around families, and we've already celebrated that with graduation uh, this morning, celebrating our grads. Jim wanted me to mention that on Serve Day, on May the 19th, we have an extended care option for our little ones up through three years old. And so if you're going out to a project and you have little ones and they want to be here um, at the church, if that's a help for you, there's care up through three years old, um, which also means we need some additional people. Your service that day might be staying here and caring for those little ones um, who, are, who are here on campus. And so if you can help out in that way, that's a great way uh, to, to be able to serve that day, so we want you to be aware of that. Also, when you exit here in just a little bit, when you go out these back doors, I'm going to ask you to slow down your exit unless you're just in a major hurry. Look at the tables off to the side. Our graduates put together tables of their life, their pictures. Um, I've probably told you the story about my youngest brother, so I'm the oldest of three. For my youngest brother, when we got ready to make his senior poster at church, my mom couldn't find any baby pictures of him because he was kid number three. <laughs> so she had to use a picture of one of the rest of us because when you're kid three, there's no pictures uh, of you. So his, his senior day poster at church didn't actually have his baby picture on it. Uh, we were standing in for him. But uh, be sure you go out to those tables and, and look at all the ways that, that God's been at work in, in our families. Here's the other thing that I want to point you toward, though. As you exit these doors, if you look to the left, there's a table with these booklets on there. Our church, every week, is reading a portion of Scripture from a book in the Bible, and we're just going book by book, and we're calling it the Route 66 Bible Reading Plan. 66 books over 66 weeks, and we've just taken a portion of that book. Could you guys bring up that slide uh, about about the Route 66 Bible reading. So we have a booklet for you that has one chapter from each of the books, and we're starting, we're in Job now. We started back the first week of January, we're in Job. You're like, well, is it even worth starting? Absolutely it is. Uh, this is us being able to read God's Word together. We also have an email that we send out every Monday that has that scripture in there and some guides about how to read that particular area or just some advice for, for how to read the Bible. And so if you would like to receive that Route 66 Bible um, email every Monday, if you'll just fill out that little prayer card in the seat back in front of you and put that in the offering plate, put your email address on there, we'll include you on that Bible reading plan that our church is going through. And I say this specifically to families. Our encouragement to you, probably the main reason we started this Route 66 Bible reading, is we want our families to be able every week to read Scripture together. And so what that looks like for our family is we just find one meal during the week, which I thought was going to be easier, but one meal when we're all at the table, 
And we take that time to read through whatever the Bible reading is for that week. If you have older kids, this may be a struggle to find that meal that everybody's together that you can do that. But let me encourage you as a family, read God's Word at home. And if you don't know how to do that, this booklet, this reading plan is your avenue, your strategy for being able to do that together. So we want you to know that that's out there. So be sure and pick up one of these booklets um, and one of the bookmarks when you leave, and and we'll have that out there for you. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Let's pray together, Emmaus. Father, thank you so much for your kindness, your compassion toward us, the hope that we have in Christ. God, I pray that this morning that our hearts would be soft toward your word. God, thank you so much for how you bring us together as families and how you give us the gift of a church family. God, that we are not in this alone and how our worship of you should impact the way that we treat one another. God, I pray that you would transform our lives so that the words that we say to one another, how we treat one another, would show your love and would be a great picture of that love to the world around us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So you may not know the name Roland Stewart, but if this morning I could have found a rainbow clown wig and I was holding up a poster that said John 3.16 on it, you would know who Roland Stewart is. Um, If you see video of sporting events from 10 years ago, probably longer than that, closer to 20 years ago, there was usually a guy who found his way in view of the camera, and he was wearing a rainbow-colored clown wig, and he was usually holding a poster that said John 3.16, Sometimes he would switch it up and it would say Jesus saves, but most of the time it said John 3.16. Now, Roland Stewart's story does not end well. Um, He ends up making some terrible life decisions and turns out he has all kinds of mental health problems that, that he's dealing with. But people came to recognize his rainbow wig and his John 3.16 poster. And in many ways, if people are not associated with church, maybe they don't have much background growing up in church or not much knowledge of the Bible, They do recognize John 3.16, and we're going to get to John 3.16 at the very end of our time this morning, but here's my proposal to you. If you wanted to wear a clown wig and hold up a poster with a Bible verse on it that was the most popular, famous verse in our world today, I think it's Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, the most popular 
Bible verse in our day, I think, is Matthew 7.1. Here's what it says. Matthew 7.1 says, Judge not that you be not judged. Even if someone has not grown up in church, doesn't have much connection in church, maybe doesn't really care anything about religion or Christianity, they can tell you that Jesus said, judge not, which means stop judging them. And in many ways, in many ways, judge not is the perfect motto for the world that we live in. I can do whatever I want. It's none of your business. You can't tell me what to do. The worst thing that you can do in our world is to tell someone that what they're doing is not right or doesn't match up with what you think is right. That is the absolute worst thing that you can do. But here's the deal. This idea of judge not, this morning, it's not the culture's problem. It's not the government's problem. It's not your neighbor's problem. This morning, we have to think about what judge not means for us. What does this verse mean right here in our lives? Why would Jesus speak to the people and say, judge not? When most people hear this verse, they think it's none of your business, or you can't declare something wrong, or you can't make a judgment about my life. But we're going to find out that that's not exactly what's being said here. Jesus calls us to be discerning. Jesus calls us to make judgments. The question is, how do we learn to make judgments without being judgy? How do we not do what's so dangerous in our world? What do we do that is so that we're called to do by Jesus? Let's look back at this verse again and think about this. When you look there in chapter 7, verse 1, and it says, Judge not that you be not judged, what we have to catch is this is not the first time Jesus has said something like this to the people in the Sermon on the Mount. He has three statements very similar to this that have come before, where he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. And then at the beginning of chapter 6, he says, Do not practice your acts of righteousness before others. And now he's going to say, Do not judge. So he's been laying out for them these things. Don't do this. But in order to understand what he's telling them, we have to make sure we understand these words correctly. Because last week, we talked about do not worry. Or, or do not be concerned. Well, that doesn't mean be apathetic and careless. There's a good kind of worry, but there's also a bad kind of worry that takes us away from the things of God. This week, we have to realize when it says do not judge, there's a positive meaning to that word, and there's a negative meaning to that word, and it depends on how it's being presented. The positive meaning means be discerning. And that's exactly what Jesus tells us people to do. We are supposed to make discernments. We are supposed to make judgments. But what we are not supposed to do is to condemn, to criticize, or to play God on someone else's behalf. When Jesus says, judge not, he says, do not set yourself up in the place of God for someone else. It's not your place to condemn a person. <laughs> It's not your place to decide on what basis that person will stand before God. That is God's role. He is the judge. Why is this so important? Because of the second half of that verse. The second half of that verse where it says, Judge not, lest you be judged. This is a moment 
where those of us who have a love for grammar, this becomes very important. That slide there that says, judge not that you be not judged, in grammar, that is a passive verb, meaning something is being done to you by someone else. You're not the one acting. Someone else is doing the action. So judge not, don't judge others, so that you will not be judged. Judged by whom? Well, other people, sure, don't, don't be judgy, because if you are, it's going to come back around on you. That, that's one of the senses. But the main idea is don't play God for someone else, because remember, you too will be judged by God. Judge not that you not be judged by God. Condemn not another person that you not be condemned by God. Most of the time that we see these passive verbs used in the New Testament, or really anywhere in the Bible, it's a divine passive. It's God is the one doing the action that's not seen. James chapter 5, verse 9. Do not grumble against one another so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge, capital J, is standing at the door. And the reality is we see this all through the Sermon on the Mount. We see this all through the New Testament, this idea of be careful how you treat others because how you treat others is going to reflect what you really believe about God. Let me show you some examples of this um, that are just kind of bullet pointed up here on the screen. Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. From whom? From God. So if we understand God's mercy, we're going to show mercy to others. Show mercy so that you will receive mercy from God. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. If we don't show mercy to others, it means we really don't understand what it means to receive mercy from God. Matthew 6, if you forgive others their sins, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Now, none of this means that I show mercy, I forgive in order to merit or in order to earn salvation. What it means, though, is if I really understand how merciful God is and that he alone stands in the place of judge, then I will not judge others I will be merciful to them because I understand my relationship with God. Which takes us to verse 2. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. What about this idea that the way I judge others is the way I myself am going to be judged? Would I be able to stand up under judgment if that same measure was used against me by God? What are the dangerous measures that Jesus is talking about? Here's where it's so important to remember there's a flow to the Sermon on the Mount. You have to remember what has led up to this point to see why Jesus is so concerned at this point that we not judge others. Because back in chapter 6, Jesus says, be careful about showing off religiously for other people. Be careful about making a religious appearance, just going through the motions, doing the things, but your heart is not right before God. Be careful about living for the things of the world, thinking that accumulating a certain number of possessions or treasures will make you right before God. 
The dangerous measures are when we judge someone, when we make discernments about someone based purely on outward appearance or based purely on the amount of money they have. Now, we would say, come on now, we would never do that. Ah, we wish we would never do that. But this idea that you see someone and they don't look the way you think a religious person should look, or you see someone and they're struggling financially, and we're triggered so much to think they must not be right with God. And we say, man, where does that come from? Where did those ideas come from? It comes from not having a proper understanding of how God views us. And the most dangerous portion of this, especially in our lives, and if you've grown up in church, you probably battle this like I do so much. These outward acts of righteousness. Here's what this looks like. So I judge someone else's standing before God based on how well they play the church game. So I judge someone else's relationship with God based on these outward works of righteousness, not ever wondering what's really going on in that person's life. And who hasn't made a mistake before where you've looked at a person's life and you've misjudged the book by the cover? Or you've said, you know what, that person's not really a follower of Jesus because they don't do X, Y, and Z, and then you realize that X, Y, and Z are actually rules that we put up, never anything that God spoke about. And so the danger is, on what basis do we make judgments? On what basis are we discerning? Because remember who Jesus is really battling against here? It's these Pharisees, the hypocrites, who look great on the outside, but inwardly their life is a mess. Jesus says, you especially... You church kid, you people that have been around religion, be so careful how you judge because with the measure you use, it will be measured unto you. What are these first two verses about? These first two verses are about the idea that how we view God is going to impact how we treat others. How we treat others reveals more about our beliefs and our relationship with God than we often want to admit. What does that look like? Remember that your standing before God is not based on your appearance. It's not based on the accumulation of your possessions. And it's not based on how well you have your life together. That you check off all the religious boxes. That you know how to do the works of righteousness. That your family shows up at church. That you do whatever the case might be. Our standing before God is purely on the basis of the hope that we have in Jesus. And so when we realize that, do you know what it does? It sets us free to love other people in the same way. Because when I understand that my hope is only possible because of the mercy and the grace of God, I'm going to be merciful and gracious to others, being careful not to judge them on things that are not important before the Lord. Now the question is, how do I do this? So judge not, judge not so that you may not be judged. How do you do this? Verse three. Kids, here's where you need to draw the picture. Verse three. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, 
but do not notice the log that is in your own eye. That's awkward. I knew that was going to be awkward. I even practiced it, but it was still awkward when I practiced it. So uh, what would it mean to walk around like this and to say, hey, I think you've got something in your eye. You're like, man, that's just, that's just ridiculous. And that's exactly the response that Jesus was going for because how many of us have walked around like this with a huge log in our eye and we think it's our job to be the moral police for the church or the fault finders when all along we have a huge log sticking out of our own eye. What's going on in that verse? The first thing to notice is kind of there in the middle. It's talking about your brother's eye. Man, that was dangerous. <laughs> yeah, I now got a speck. Yeah, I went from a log to a speck. Thank you, Miss Faye. Uh, that was part of the illustration as well, just the accidental part. So, uh, um, that's funny. The, uh, so, the, the middle part there, brother's eye. This is talking about treatment of other, other believers. It's bad enough that you would speak this way, that you have a log in your eye and be judgmental to another Christian. Think about what we look like with a log in our eye when we're going around finding all the faults with our neighbors and our coworkers who are not followers of Jesus. What kind of impression does that make on someone about what it means to know and follow Jesus? What do we do toward them? We speak peace, we pray for them, we share the gospel, we display a life that is humble, that's merciful. We want to do that, but Jesus is talking here about how we treat one another. Why do you see the speck? That word in Greek is a word that simply just means something that is insignificant. Uh, you could even get close to the word unimportant. So I have a log in my own eye, something huge sticking out of my eye, and I notice something in someone else's life that is frankly insignificant and unimportant in the big scheme of things, but I think it's my job to go and point it out. What should you do instead? Well, verse 4 says this. Oh, actually, you know what? Before we get to verse 4, let me say one other thing. I'll skip something here. Why would Jesus use this type of language? One reason is remember what his earthly father did for a living. He was a carpenter. Jesus grew up around this idea that you might have a piece of stone or you might have a piece of wood in your eye. He was familiar with this type of living. He's speaking about something that he knew about and other people would know about. But on top of that, there are some key verses from the end of chapter 6 that I think tells us why Jesus uses this illustration. They come from chapter 6, verse 22 and 23. A couple of weeks ago, in fact on Easter, we talked about how the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. If you weren't with us on Easter, we talked about how in the ancient world, the eye was considered a portal of light into the body. It was how light came into the body and it changed the way you live. If you have this in your eye, how much light is coming into your body? None. It's not happening. And so when you have a log in your eye, 
your body, your life is not able to be filled with the light of God, and so it impacts the way you live. And so part of the reason that Jesus begins chapter 7 with this speck and log imagery is because he's connecting back to what he said in chapter 6, verses 22 and 23. Now let's get to verse 4. What do you do in verse 4? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. A hypocrite is someone who acts one way in public on the outside and internally in private they're doing something completely different. So you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. So what does Jesus say? He says, before you can understand how to be discerning and treat others, you have to check yourself. You have to ask, is there a log in my eye that needs to be dealt with? And here's the bad part about this. We don't always realize how embarrassing it is that other people are able to see these things and we're not able to notice it. Because funny enough, if you do this often enough, you kind of get used to it. Or you're like, that's not a log, that's just an accessory. Like, that's just, I just carry it around with me. Like, that's just, it's just part of my life. That, you know what we say? We say things like, that's just who I am. That's just who I am. I just, I just have that. And man, the danger in that, because of the way that it clouds our vision, because of the way it keeps us from being filled with the light of God that is there, when you get something in your eye that needs to be dealt with, how do you handle that? Well, oftentimes, oftentimes, the first place you go is to a mirror to look, and you do that awkward thing where you try to pull your eye down to see you know, what, what's in there. How did that little eyelash get in there? How did that speck of dust get in there? This idea of looking in the mirror is so biblical because it comes right out of James chapter 1. So when I have something in my eye, how do I notice it? How do I know it's there? The first way is by looking in the mirror. James chapter 1, verse 23. Anyone who listens to the word, the word of God, but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Can you imagine looking at yourself in the mirror in the morning and there's a huge beam sticking out of your eye and you think to yourself, hey, I should take that out before I go to work or I should take that out before I go to school and then you walk away from the mirror and you forget it. Would we do that if we had something in our nose? No way. Like, you deal with that before you go out in public. You, you handle that. We have a log that's sticking out, and we look at it and we say, hey, you know what, I should do something about that, and then we walk away and we forget it. Verse 25. But whoever looks intently, and man, this is such a great, great phrase that comes next. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. Never forget that about God's word. We think law, God's word, and we think slavery. But when you look into the grace and the goodness and the perfection of God's word and God's law, it's not slavery, it's freedom. You're set, what's slavery? Slavery is having the log in your eye. Freedom is being able to get rid of it. 
Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So how do I check myself? How do I know if I have a log in my eye? This is a good place to start. Just reading God's word. Just saying, I want to take God's word into my life. I want to look into that perfect law because it gives freedom. It exposes what needs to be dealt with. Sometimes we don't want to read God's word because we're so afraid of what it would expose in, in our life. But it says, look there, deal with that log, and find freedom. But not only do you look in a mirror, but if you have something in your eye, you usually go to somebody else. And you say, hey, hey, could you, could you deal with this? Could you see what's going on in here? That's the verses that come just before this in James 1. If you back up in James 1, I think to about verse 19. What's that next slide? Yeah, verse 19. Let every person, how do I check myself? So I look in scripture, that helps. How do I check myself? Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. How are we able to see the log in our eye? We look at scripture, and then we hear, we're quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to become angry. How do I know if I have a log in my eye? If you're defensive about something, realize that may be a log in your eye. If you find yourself always getting defensive about something. If you get angry quickly about something in your life, there's a good chance that that might be a log in your eye. If there's something that you're very resistant, people have tried to speak, speak into your life, you've heard it over and over and over again, and you've started to justify it, that may be a log in our eye. We need to be able to receive that word from other people. We need to be able to receive the word of God. But let's just be honest, that's hard to do. When I was in college, um, I was working... Uh, doing some weed eating in a brushy area, wearing goggles, not goggles, sunglasses, piece of wood flies up underneath the sunglasses, gets up in my eye. So I go to the eye doctor because I can't get it out for anything. It's so irritating to have, have it in there. And you go, and he says, open your eye really wide. Do you know what happens when they say open your eye really wide? You open your mouth as wide as possible. <laughs> okay, that's, that's embarrassing. So keep your mouth closed, open your eye, and he says, okay, we're going to have somebody come and hold your arms down. Oh, great. <laughs> this is going to go well. Um, why? Because when somebody reaches for your eye and there's something painful in there, what are you going to do? Like you're going to, the natural instinct is when you find yourself slapping somebody else's hand away because they're trying to come and help you, that's a good sign that you've got something going on in your eye. Why is it so important, though, that we deal with this? Because look at the end of chapter, uh, verse 5. The reason this matters so much is because it says, You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now this just totally explodes the way we normally think of, Jesus said, judge not. 
Therefore, don't get involved in my business. No, no. Jesus said, don't play God for others. Don't condemn. Don't judge on the basis of things that have nothing to do with the things of God or that are unimportant. Jesus did not say, mind your own business. Because as we are humbly transformed, as God changes our life and shows mercy to us, why do we want the log out of our own eye? So that we can turn around and care for those around us who have a speck in their eye. And this is hard. This is a hard calling that we're given here. Because I'm not saying we need to be the moral police for each other. We need to be the fault finders all all the time. We're talking here, though, about being a brother and being a friend, not being a judge for someone. To be able to look into someone's life and say, you know what, I love you, and I care for you, and there's a speck in your eye, and I want to help you be able to deal with it, because if you're not careful, it's going to cause irritation, and it's going to hurt your sight, and it's going to impair all the work that God wants to do in in your life. Those conversations go so much better when you already have a relationship with the person. (laughs) If you walk up to a person randomly after the service today, and you say, you know what, been thinking about you, I think you got a speck in your eye, let me help you get that out, it's probably not going to go well. But if you, you're probably going to get your hand slapped away is what's going to happen. But if you have a relationship with that person, if you love them, care for them, you're invested in their life, and, 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 here's the key, and they know that you're a person constantly taking logs out of your own eye, so much more receptive, so much more likely to take your words of truth spoken to them and love. Because what does God want to do in our church? What does he want to do in our life? He wants to give us, and if you got one of those note sheets on there, I think this is on there. He wants to give us Matthew 7 humility lived out with a Matthew 18 model. Matthew 17 humility that says, or Matthew 7, I'm sorry, Matthew 7 humility that says, I'm not God. It's not my job to condemn you or to criticize you or to judge you on the basis of anything other than than what it means to stand before the Lord in holiness. I'm taking logs out of my own eye all the time because here's what Matthew 18 says. Matthew 18, verse 15. You guys jump ahead to that next slide if you want. Matthew 18, verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. So you see, you're taking logs out of your own eye. You see a speck in somebody else's eye. You don't post about it on Facebook. You don't tell everybody around you. You are humbled by your own weaknesses, by your own needs, and so you go to the person, and you go to him and him alone, and if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. And if he doesn't listen, you take one or two others, and if he still doesn't listen, later on in that passage, it says we we involve the church. It begins with Matthew 7 humility. I'm not God. I'm not going to play God for you. But I do know the logs of my own eye that need to be taken out. And I love you so much that I'm not going to let that speck stay in your eye. And my hope is that we can be that type of church. That we can be that type of people for each other. We're standing before God's word, taking those logs out, turning to our friends and our brothers and sisters and saying, I care for you. 
Let me take that speck out of your eye. I've told this story so many times it kind of loses its uh, funniness, but if you don't know it, it's a great one. So first month that I was at Emmaus, three years ago, first month we were here, we were living in a very small, uh, very small apartment. I was getting dressed in the dark in the morning. I go to work here at the office that day, go throughout staff meeting, go throughout the whole day. I get home after work, and I walk in the little apartment we were in, and Amanda said, did you know that your sweater is on backward? What? It was a V-neck, but no, I'm just kidding. It wasn't a V-neck. It was a regular sweater. Um, did you know your sweater was on backward? What? My sweater was on, sure enough, I'd gotten dressed in the morning, and I'd put my sweater on backward and worn it all throughout the day. Did anybody tell me about it? No. Did they text each other? Yeah, you better believe it. Like, oh, man. The new pastor, like he struggles. He can't even put his shirt on straight. Uh, this idea that we see something in somebody's life, and maybe because we live in the South and this is polite sort of thing, we'd rather watch them continue in their struggle than do the hard work of speaking into somebody's life. Because let's be honest, that's hard work. Why? Because we know our own struggles. We know our own weaknesses, but we're humble before the Lord and we're saying, God, let me take these logs out so I can care for somebody else. And here's the deal. Here's the seriousness of this for sure. Because when we talk about judgment, when we talk about judgment, there is one who is God. And he alone is the judge. And this is where John 3.16 becomes so important. John 3.16, that verse that we know so well goes like this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Here's the incredible thing, though. Did you know that the verses that come after that connect exactly to the verse we've talked about this morning? Because verse 17 goes like this. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. That's the same word from Matthew chapter 7 for the word for judge. God did not send his Son into the world to judge the world, but to save the world through him. It gets more difficult in verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, is not under that judgment. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. If you are here this morning and you are not a follower of Jesus or you've really struggled with this idea of Christianity, there's a good chance that the reason you've struggled is because you've been judged by someone else. You felt criticized, you felt condemned, you felt that someone was judging you and you've not wanted anything to do with that. First off, let me say, that's probably true, and I'm, I'm sorry about that. That is, not, that is not what we are called to do. But what we do need to speak clearly about is that every one of us will stand before God as judge. Every one of us will stand before God as judge. And the question is, will we stand on our own merit, our own abilities, our own strength, or Will we stand before God as judge as one who has trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation? And so Jesus very clearly says, judge not. It is not our job to play God for you. But there is a God that we will stand before.
And we will stand before him as those who have rebelled against him in our own strength, trying to live our own way, not living in faith. And yet he has made a way of freedom, a way of grace, a way of hope, a way of salvation, and it's found through Jesus, no other name. And so this morning, I know you've been hurt in the past by Christians. There's very likely been times that you've been judged. But this morning, I would just call you to trust in Jesus, the one who did not come to judge you, but to make a way for salvation. And if you've experienced that, we should be the least judgy most loving, most caring, most hope-filled people in the world. And we do that because we look to Jesus. Let's pray together right now. Here in just a minute, after I pray, we're going to stand and sing a song about this hope that we have in the name of Jesus. During that song, we pass our offering plates around so that we can turn in those response cards about God's work in our life. But during this last song, if you say, you know what, if I was to stand before God right now, I don't know what he would say. I don't know what I would do if I was standing before the Lord right now. It's a powerful thing to know that God is judge, but it is a beautiful thing to know that he is Father and that he is Savior. And I pray that you would look to him, that he has come to you in love and hope. All those times you've been judged in the past by others, all those times you've struggled with what it means to believe in him, that this morning that you would trust in him, we want to pray for you, we want to talk to you about that. Christians, you may need to go and apologize to someone after the service and say, I'm sorry I've been judgmental toward you. But I do want to love you. I do want to care for you. Prepare your heart that someone may want to come and speak to you about a speck that's in your eye. That your heart would be soft toward them. That you would see them as a friend, as a brother and sister in Christ. God, our hope is in Christ. No other name. We are humble before you. God, we want to be merciful and loving to others because you are so merciful and loving to us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.